In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today we're joined by AJC Washington correspondent Tia Mitchell to talk about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, her victory in last week's primary runoff in the 14th District of Georgia. Tia, how you doing? I'm doing great. Staying busy. Yeah, well, you have been very busy covering this race. You've covered um, Marjorie Taylor Greene really since you took the AJC job a few months, uh, well, almost a year ago now. Um, What can you tell us about her rise from long shot sixth district candidate to presumptive congresswoman from the 14th district in just a few months? Well, you know, we've written, you've reported, um, Greg, that Greene says she was recruited to move her candidacy to the 14th district when Tom Graves announced, he kind of made this surprise announcement at the end of 2019 that he would want, he wants to retire. And when that seat became open, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene was encouraged by some conservatives, you know, those really, really conservative, not just Republicans, but like the conservative part of the Republican Party encouraged her. Kind of the hard right, right? Yes, the hard right. That's a good way to to say it. You know, like you said, she was campaigning in the 6th District where she lived, but that was up against Karen Handel, who the Republicans also want to see go to Congress. Um, They hope that she can regain her seat from Lucy McBath. So in time and, and Republicans are also looking for women, conservative women that they think can appeal to voters. So when the Tom Grave seat opened up, they encouraged Marjorie Green to run in that seat instead, because, as you guys know, um, in for congressional races, you don't have to live in your district. Most people do because it looks better. Marjorie Green did eventually, you know, move her address to Rome. But she didn't have to. You can you can as long as you live in the state, you can run in any congressional district. So that's what happened. And I think, um, you know, there has and we'll get to it, I'm sure, throughout this podcast episode. But yes, there's a lot of criticism from Marjorie about Marjorie Green. But the fact that she won handily in the primary and then won handily in the runoff shows that the folks who recruited her were right in that. She could still win. She has appeal. Let's talk about that because um, what happened from, from, from my vantage, at least, is really interesting because she had gotten in the sixth district race early 
uh, as a, a to 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 run to Karen Handel's right flank. And Karen Handel, of course, is the former Secretary of State of Georgia, who ran for governor, U.S. Senate, and beat John Ossoff in the 2017 special election, but then lost a year later to Lucy McBath. She was r- running for a rematch. And uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was going to be a, a formidable opponent on her right, but in a much more moderate district. I mean, the 6th District is, is A, represented by a Democrat now, so that tells you a lot. Uh, but B is a suburban district where conservatives are not quite as um, as hard-line conservative as they, they are in more conservative districts in Georgia's mountains. And so when she was recruited to switch races, um, she became really the instant front-runner in the 14th district race, not because of any name recognition or any other issue because she wasn't, she was relatively unknown up there. It was mostly because she already had a campaign apparatus and she was really the first real candidate to get in the race. And she spent about a million bucks of her own money to boost her name recognition. So she was able to kind of take advantage of a field where there was no other well-known figure. A lot, a lot of um, well-liked politicians up there, like Jeff Mullis, the state senator, decided not to run. Um, so she, she ran in a field of lesser-known candidates. And as you said, um, this was no like razor-thin victory on either side. She went 40% of the vote in the crowded June runoff, and then she won by 20, 20 points against John Cowan, a Rome neurosurgeon who cast himself as equally conservative, but not an embarrassment to the district. Right. And you made so the point about Cowan, you know, he's a a doctor, a brain surgeon. And then he also ran this toy company, you know, just kind of having his fingers in different pots of streams of income. But he was not well known. And and Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think people may not understand what it means that she spent nearly a million dollars, $900,000 she loaned her campaign in a congressional race in a rural Georgia district. Like that is a large sum of money for a, a, a seat that normally you're not spending that much money on. I'm talking about there are other GOP incumbents in Georgia now that don't have nearly that much money raised. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a lot of money that she spent and it helped, you know, it helped her, you know, kind of inundate the district with her name. And she also, you know, she ran a campaign that she showed up at city council meetings she was very present. Her people were waving signs and she was able to flood the market literally um, because she had money to spend. And as you noted, she already kind of had a campaign in motion. She just picked it up and moved it from the 6th to the 14th. Yeah, exactly. And then after she won, after she emerged as the front runner in the run, in the first round of voting back in June, the AJC and other outlets had reported on some of her incendiary remarks uh, about uh, Islamic candidates and uh, about Sharia law and um, just about a, a, a wide range of topics. But after she won the runoff or she was first place in the runoff, Politico re- reported even more videos in which she um, said a series of, of racist, xenophobic and anti-Semitic remarks that, that earned national attention. And for a time, it seemed um, seemed to consolidate Republican support behind Cowan. As we were soon to find out, though, 
even those that those endorsements didn't go very far. I mean, what we saw was were the few Georgia high-profile Republicans who had backed or, um, um, Cowan, you know, sent a, a statement in support of him, but they didn't do any campaigning in the district. They didn't raise any money for Cowan, or if they did, they were doing it very quietly. So it was not some high-profile, you know, gush of, of force against uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Instead, it was more quieter condemnations and endorsements. Right, because I think what those Republican incumbents saw rather quickly was that Marjorie Taylor Greene has a massive following on social media, a massive, you know, that that goes way beyond Georgia. And so there was immediate pushback of those Republicans. And again, Republicans know that there's a thin line because their base is hard right in a lot of ways. So even if you're, you know, a, a politician in another part of Georgia who has a roughly safe seat, it was a risk for them to speak out too much about Marjorie Taylor Greene because then this national following of hers would start attacking them and possibly cause problems for them down the line. And so I think that risk coupled with the reality that she was going to be hard to beat in the runoff made it so there wasn't a lot of upside for sticking their neck out too much for John Cowan. You know, I think if if they thought that it was closer and if they thought that they could derail her, I think there would have been a little bit more energy. But I think the internal, you know, whatever internal polling they had, their ears on the ground in the 14th district, I think sent them a message pretty quickly that it's going to be hard to beat her. So stick your neck out at your own risk. And so in the, in, the, in, it was clear to me as a journalist who's been writing about her since before the June primary, it's not that the voters in Northwest Georgia were not aware that she was going to be controversial. Yes, stuff has been trickling out. Yes, you know, the political article that was probably the most damning did come out after the primary. However, as you noted, before the primary, we had written about her QAnon ties. Media Matters has a series of articles they've been writing about her QAnon ties. We wrote that she took a a picture with Chester Doles, who has longstanding connections to white nationalism and white supremacy, you know, and was at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. We wrote that before the primary and she still got 40 percent of the vote. And I'm not saying every voter is just Googling and an expert on Marjorie Taylor Greene. But it's not like that information did not exist. It's not that if you didn't do just basic research, you wouldn't have known some of these things. So what it shows us is, by and large, a plurality of voters in that district were not phased by that information. And therefore, again, it taught the Republicans who know that as a party that is that is not helpful to their party on a statewide level or on a national level, I think they got the message that in that district, that message was not necessarily going to derail Marjorie Taylor Greene. And that's a problem that we know is 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 setting up the conundrum for 
problems the Dem- the Republican Party has had for years and still has not been able to solve. What was interesting to me is that, you know, she ran against what she calls the lying media and the radical left and all the typical things you, you, st- you hear from, from conservative candidates in certain districts now. But what she also ran against just as much, and she devoted a, a big part of her, her victory speech to this, were the spineless Republicans, in her words, who were part of the establishment, who wouldn't stand up for conservative values in the same way she would. Uh, and, and that became such a big part of her campaign against John Cowan and against, um, you know, all, all of his supporters, um, because he, he had he had a lot of, you know, the the district stretches through a big corner of northwest Georgia. And he had um, a lot of the uh, more well to do Republicans in Floyd County, where his base is. He had a lot of backing from uh, he had a big campaign team. Um, a lot of people from from who were veterans of Nathan Deal, Governor Nathan Deal's operation, were were working for him. So um, it wasn't like he was some nobody underdog candidate. Um, but she just railed against who she sees as the the feckless rhinos, the the Republicans in name in name only, um, and promised to be someone who would would stand up for conservative values and 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 and. Interviews with her supporters at her victory party, that's what came out over and over again, was that, that she, would, she would, wouldn't just be a conservative. She wouldn't just be a vote with, with Donald Trump and other Republicans, but she would be an advocate. She would be someone who would be outspoken about it. And certainly, so far, since her, uh, since her victory, she's been nothing but outspoken. Right. And, and I think, you know, I know that there's always people who say, well, hopefully when she get sworn in because we know that it is very likely she will win now. You know, I know there are Democrats who say their candidate, you know, maybe can pull out a win because people are so turned off by her. But we know that's unlikely to happen. Tom Graves won with like, what, 77 percent of the vote or something last in the last cycle. So, you know, I know there are people who are hoping, well, maybe when she's sworn in and she feels the gravity of 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 having a position in Congress, she'll 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 temper herself. And I know that that's what the other incumbents in the Georgia delegation and the party leaders are hoping for. Um, But there's no indication that that's the way she's going to go. As you said, even on primary night, you were there. She called Nancy Pelosi a bitch, you know, she and she doubled down yesterday and said she stands by it even after the backlash um, from that comment and others. So there's no indication that who she has presented herself to be thus far is what we're going to get when she arrives in Washington. And and I, I personally don't think that's a bad thing because I think our democracy will work much better if we as just the American electorate don't always get bailed out by quote unquote people rising to the occasion or 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 changing who they are you know we need to be forced to grapple with the reality of the people who we elected and and if people don't like it then it shouldn't be up to the the politician to change themselves it should be up to the people at home to say maybe we need to make a different choice if we don't like who this person is and i think that's going to be something that marjorie taylor green will show people. Yeah, she ain't, she's not changing, right? That's a, that's a great point. Uh, it'll be interesting to flash forward two years to see what Republicans do. Uh, redistricting is just in a, a few months. Um, 
So, you know, does she get district? Does her district change? Do they try to do, do the powers that be in Atlanta try to try to mess around with her? Do they try to recruit a high profile Republican to run against her? Who knows? But all we know right now is what you said. She's not changing who she is. She's not toning down her rhetoric. She's not, um, for the most part, she did the other day um, back off. She had made a claim that a, 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 you know, during the 9-11 tax, a plane didn't hit the Pentagon. Um, so she backed off that on Twitter and said, I now know that a plane did hit the Pentagon, which, you know, is, is a well-established fact. Um, right. But she, other than that, you know, she, she is, look, a lot of times at these victory speeches, you hear water on the bridge, you hear, let's move on, let's unite. The other guy ran a great campaign, uh, but now we're going to fight for, for, for our causes and the district's causes in Washington, yada, yada, yada. That victory speech, which you can talk a little bit more about, um, I was there in the room, was the, the most fiery for someone who won. It was the most fiery. Jim Galloway wrote it was like a napalm bomb um, speech that you could have. Um, w- within hours of winning, she kicked me out of her celebration. She chased a teenager off Twitter. She called Nancy Pelosi a bitch. And then that was just the start of, of pretty much an all-day um, Twitter uh, uh, rant or, or, or raving. I don't know what you call it. Just a Twitter dialogue um, where she made fun of her Democratic opponent's appearance. She picked a fight with with Senator Jeff, former Senator Jeff Flake, and 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 really went back and forth on QAnon and, and continued to to say um, that that she, her words were being twisted by liberals who want to see her gone. Right, and and the question is, you know, yesterday um, Nancy Pelosi had her weekly press availability, and I asked Nancy Pelosi. What she thought she had already said, you know, the Republicans seem to like it. Um, But I asked Nancy Pelosi, what do you think about Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because she's the one she called you the bitch, you know, and and, um, Nancy Pelosi basically said, hey, that's for Republicans to figure out. That's their person. That's their caucus. They decide how. Um, if they will welcome her. And what she's saying, if you read between the lines, what she's saying is Republicans do have a lot of power because the way Congress works is that, you know, Republican leaders will decide what committees, if any, Marjorie Taylor Greene will serve on. And so that will be an indication um, of, of how they've decided to treat her you know, once she arrives in January, for example, if they give her very few committees, um, if they give her, you know, one or two and they're very low profile committees that, you know, are not coveted, that will send a message that they aren't embracing her. Um, but they could also give her, you know, they put her on a committee, you know, like judiciary or oversight where she can really raise some hell that will send a message that they are like, you know what? She's one of us and we're going to let her loose. Yeah. And so far from, it's been interesting watching the reaction from Georgia politicians, um, you know, who, who, as we noted, several of them either condemned Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, after the, 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 the primary or back forcefully back John Cowan. Well, in the moments after she won, um, really from Doug Collins and Kelly Leffler, who are rivals for U.S. Senate seat in the special election, they both raced to congratulate her and say that she's an outsider who will support conservative values in in the U.S. Senate. Um, And then you had a very different reaction from 
from David Perdue, who, as of this taping, as far as I know, still hasn't said anything um, positive about her her election. Governor Kemp also has not commented on uh, on her 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 um, her nomination. And many other Republicans are just saying either really quiet or they're just saying, hey, congrats on the win. So, uh, yeah, so that's happening right now. Yeah. And I think that shows the difference. Purdue cannot be hard right right now. He's got John Ossoff on his heels. So he's got a very different calculus involved in what he says than Collins and Leffler, who right now are battling for the hard right. You know what I mean? Same thing for Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp cannot be hard right right now when he's worried that Stacey Abrams is going to wage a rematch. You know, so Brian Kemp is and I'm not saying I think eventually Purdue and Kemp are going to have to say something because she is more than likely going to member be a member of the Georgia congressional delegation, which means when Trump comes to Georgia, she's going to be there to, you know, wave at him coming off Air Force One. So they're they're If she becomes a member of the delegation like we expect to happen, they won't be able to avoid her. And quite frankly, we know how she is. I was going to say, quite frankly, do we expect her to allow them to ignore her? You know, she's likely to call them out at any minute if she feels um, that she's being, you know, not acknowledged. And not only that, but President Trump himself tweeted an endorsement of her saying that she'd be a future Republican star. So makes it a lot harder for someone like David Perdue or you name it, Republican X, Y, Z to come out and condemn her if the president of the party is 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 um, praising her. Right. Exactly. That's that's the point. It's like if Trump is already embracing her again, that shows that Leffler and Collins are for better, or for worse, doing a lot to follow Trump's lead. So. But that's different than Purdue. Purdue cannot risk being um, characterized by John Ossoff as someone who just blindly follows Donald Trump. You got it. Well, Tia, I know your hands will be full covering not only Marjorie Taylor Greene, but the rest of the Republican and Democratic delegation up in Washington, um, which is, you know, there's, there's, there's several other major races we're watching, very competitive races in the 6th and 7th District. Um, so we can have some different members of the delegation come uh, come January. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, as always. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. 
Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.